Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The Alaskan wilderness has a way of swallowing you whole, embracing you in its icy grip and challenging your very existence. It's a place where only the strongest survive, where solitude becomes your closest companion. I am Jack Turner, a rugged individualist who has carved out a life of seclusion in a rustic cabin nestled deep within this unforgiving landscape. My days are defined by the rhythm of self-sufficiency. Chopping wood becomes a meditation. Each swing of the axe a reminder of my resilience. Hunting provides sustenance, a reminder that I am a part of this wild world, and the tranquility that 
only isolation can offer becomes my solace, my refuge from a world that seems to grow more chaotic with each passing day. As the days grow shorter and the winter months stretch on, the snow-covered landscape closes in around me. The howling wind becomes a haunting symphony, and the dance of snowflakes outside my window is both mesmerizing and isolating. I find comfort in the routine and the simple acts that tether me to reality. But one evening, as the wind's howl grew louder and the snowflakes danced with newfound intensity, something shifted. I peered through the frosty window of my cabin and caught a glimpse of movement among the trees. At first, I dismissed it as a trick of my imagination, an illusion conjured by the isolation and the long hours spent in the quiet wilderness. Yet as the days passed, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. Glimpses of the same dark, hulking shape appeared on the periphery of my vision, always just out of reach. It was a presence that seemed to defy explanation, a feeling that crawled beneath my skin and nestled in the pit of my stomach. I hesitated to share my experiences with the outside world, who would believe me a lone man, living in the heart of the wilderness, but I couldn't ignore the unsettling truth any longer. I began journaling my encounters, documenting every detail, every chilling observation. My descriptions painted a vivid picture, a towering figure covered in matted fur, eyes that gleamed with an otherworldly intelligence, and a presence that sent shivers down my spine. As the creature's appearances grew more frequent, my skepticism wavered. My rational mind clashed with the inexplicable reality I was facing. The isolation that had once brought me solace now deepened my uncertainty. I questioned the very foundation of my reality, grappling with the idea that there was more to this world than met the eye. Desperation drove me to seek answers in the stories of native Alaskan legends. Tales of similar creatures that inhabited the wilds echoed in the back of my mind, offering a sliver of validation for the inexplicable horrors I had witnessed. A turning point came during a stormy night when the wind howled like a banshee in the snow, swirled in a frenzy. With a heart pounding in my chest, I mustered the courage to confront the creature that had haunted my every waking moment. Armed with a flashlight and a camera, I ventured into the blizzard, determined to capture evidence of the elusive being that had invaded my world. And there, at the edge of the clearing, my flashlight's beam illuminated an imposing figure. Its features were obscured by the swirling snow, yet I felt its presence reverberate through my very being. In those fleeting moments, as I snapped photos in the blinding storm, I knew that what I had witnessed defied all logic. In the aftermath, I shared my story with a trusted friend and a researcher who treated my experiences with raw honesty. Despite my initial hesitation, I knew I had to speak my truth. With conviction, I declared, Bigfoot is real, and I wouldn't lie about it. My account ignited a blend of fascination and skepticism among those who heard my tale, blurring the line between reality and the unexplainable. As I look out at the snow-covered expanse that surrounds my cabin, I am reminded that some mysteries are destined to remain hidden in the heart of the wilderness. The world may doubt my story, but I carry with me the knowledge that I have stared into the abyss and witnessed something that transcends understanding. The Alaskan wilderness is a place of wonder and terror, 
a realm where the line between reality and myth blurs, and the truth is as elusive as the creatures that roam its depths. Growing up, I remember my father telling me stories about his days as a logger. He was a strong, hard-working man, and he loved his job. But there was one story he would tell that always left me with a sense of unease, a story about a strange encounter he had in the woods. It was late autumn, and the logging season was coming to a close. My father and his crew were working hard to finish up their last few jobs before the winter snows arrived. One evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, my father decided to head back to camp early to prepare dinner for the crew. As he drove along the winding forest road, he suddenly spotted a large, hairy man dart out of the woods and across the road just a few feet in front of his truck. My father slammed on the brakes, his heart racing in his chest as he tried to make sense of what he had just seen. The creature was massive, covered in thick, matted hair, and running on two legs like a human but with a speed and agility that seemed almost unnatural. As quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the woods on the other side of the road. My father sat in his truck, his hands gripping the steering wheel tightly as he tried to process what he had just witnessed. He knew he couldn't keep this to himself, so he drove back to the logging site and told his fellow lumberjacks what had happened. To his surprise, many of them believed his story. They had heard whispers of strange creatures living in the woods. Creatures that were not quite human, but not quite animal either. Together they decided to form a search party and see if they could find any trace of the creature my father had encountered. Armed with flashlights and a sense of determination, they set off into the woods, following the path the creature had taken as it crossed the road. They searched for hours, their flashlights casting eerie shadows among the trees, but they found no sign of the creature. As the night wore on and the temperature dropped, they eventually decided to abandon their search and return to camp. My father couldn't shake the feeling that the creature was still out there, watching them from the shadows, but he knew there was little they could do to find it. The story of my father's encounter with the strange hairy man spread throughout the logging community, and while some dismissed it as a tall tale or a trick of the light, others believed it to be true. My father never saw the creature again, but the memory of that night stayed with him for the rest of his life. As I grew older, I found myself wondering about the mysterious creature that had crossed my father's path all those years ago. Was it a figment of his imagination, or could it have been something more? I suppose I'll never know the truth, but the story remains a haunting reminder of the mysteries that still lurk within the depths of the forest. My brother is two years older, and we've probably spent 10,000 hours and then some in the woods together. Whether it was building Fort's BMX tracks to LARPing and hunting, we've traveled across the U.S. exploring caves, canyons, cliff diving, mountain biking, camping, hunting whitetail mule deer, wild boar, etc. Since 2016, when we get the time off, I feel like adding this is important because there's genuinely nothing I wouldn't do or fear when I have him by my side. But this time was different, and we both felt it. We've had our fair share of adventures and stories to tell of all sorts, but this one has felt like a lingering stain on my memory, 
We were both mid-twenties-ish, and it was 2019, and this was probably my fifth time hunting the area, and the first I brought my brother along. It's a large forest area of public land that has a few county roads, which are basically two tracks that stretch miles throughout the area. We make the trip up in my truck with our tents, three in total, one for each of us and another to change in and keep our gear in. Without making this long-winded, we set up camp a couple miles from the truck, which we drove for quite a few miles through the trails. Basically, middle of nowhere. Nearest main road is probably eight, ten miles away. We arrived late in the night, set up camp, and quickly fell asleep after a long trip. We then spent the next day scouting tracking, then made back to camp for the night. We cooked then ate, had some beers, and bullshitted. The night was still early, but we had a long day and decided to head off for the night. Everything up until this point was normal. I was suddenly awoke to something smacking my tent and hearing my brother's voice call my name. I knew something was off. I called back to him and he immediately unzipped my tent and made his way inside. I could tell he was disturbed when I went to ask him what's wrong, and he immediately grabbed my shoulder and told me to shush. The sun wasn't up yet, so I think it was around 4.35ish a.m. We sat in my tent, and what we heard still confuses me to this day. I can only explain it as whale sounds, different tones of extremely loud noise that I could feel throughout my body. It would come and go, but there would only be a few seconds of silence in between the sounds. It would vary from high-pitched squeals and everything in between to very low sounds that had literal ground-shaking reverb. I regrettably didn't think to grab my phone or record anything that was going on because what I was hearing didn't seem real, and in the moment, I was awestruck. The sound went on until daylight started to break. I believe it was about an hour, but I'm not really sure. Neither of us spoke, and at the time, it felt like I could feel the energy around me, almost like my body was covered in white noise, if that makes any sense. It wasn't even minutes after the sound stopped. It started to rain, and one of the craziest thunderstorms while I was camping happened. The forecast didn't predict or account for any rain, the days we were going to be there prior to making the trip. All the stakes for the tent, our gear was in completely ripped out of the ground, and both of our tents had multiple stakes ripped out as well. Those things were drove into the ground with an axe and would take some insane force to unearth even a single one. My brother dismisses it and won't even talk about it, saying it was just machinery being dragged, but at the time we both shared the same feeling of fear and dread. Just seems odd it was still of the middle of the night, and we were so far removed from any nearby community's industry to hear and experience this occurrence. I, 27 female, live in a small town in North Italy, a valley between our typical old mountains, round shapes covered in forest, not high, so just behind my home, lots of hikes start. I always lived here, and I like mountains. Plus, I'm getting in shape, so the terrain is ideal, especially because I'm really familiar with it. So last summer, I was walking my usual route when I thought I could try to have a short hike before sunset and took a rot. 
Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Italian ground, but there aren't the big spaces and long distances, typically of USI imagined. Picture the average small town of 2,500 people. Starting from bottom in a two-hour hike, you're on top of the mountain. And the route I took was about 30 minutes to arrive halfway the mountain to a big Christian cross and a nice view. I was with my dog, a well-trained Spitz, a nice company with good instincts that I trust. He's a working dog more than a pet, despite his size. So we took the path and start making our way up, nice and relaxed, but active as we didn't have too much light time left. I just figured that if light went low, I'd just turn around and head home. No chances of getting lost. Woods immediately engulf us. Pretty dense, but it's the norm. Not even 15 minutes of walking, and I'm paralyzed with this overwhelming sense of dread. The woods are completely silent. My skin crawls up just thinking about it. Even my dog stops, anxious. I just couldn't understand what was scaring me so much in the sudden silence. I couldn't move a muscle. I've read the gift of fear. And the only time I didn't listen to my guts, I lost my spleen in an accident. So wide-eyed and hyper-alert, I forced myself to move and noped out of there. It was like my brain was screaming, if you stay here, you'll die. Walking back, I couldn't stop the urge to continuously look behind me. At some point, I was practically running, and I kept thinking that if I sprained an ankle there, I would die. The dog seemed relieved when we had turned back, and he kept looking behind, too. When we finally made it out of the woods and back on the road, I felt a wave of relief and ran all the way back home for the adrenaline I had. To this day, I don't know what happened, and I haven't gone back. When I was growing up, we lived near a town called Welty in Oklahoma. It's really not much of a town, just a tiny store, some churches and a lot of farms. We lived off the main road, close to an area called Macabre, which is also nothing but farms and a cemetery, and not even considered a town. Very middle of nowhere. My family told a lot of creepy stories about this place, especially having to do with orbs and weird deer. I do have memories of seeing orbs floating over the trees and have no idea what those were, but I never personally saw anything else. My dad has always been a skeptic and never chimed in on these stories. He has Alzheimer's and has a great memory of the past, but horrible short term. The other day he was telling me how much he loved living out there and wished he could still live there, and I brought up the orbs and the creepy stories my family always shared. He agreed that they were always creeped out out there, but then he told me he actually saw something really odd once. He told me one night he was sitting on the porch by himself, and a man ran through our yard wearing what looked like a deer head. Not just the antlers, but like he had a deer's head. He just ran through and continued on down the pitch-black road. My dad didn't know what to think of it. He just told me he thought people out there had too much time on their hands. My mom and brother also saw what they said was a deer walking upright all the way down the road. I know deer do this, but they said it just kept walking like that in the middle of the road. My aunt also said they passed a man who was wearing a deer's head on the road one night. There aren't streetlights in this area, so he was just out there in the dark road alone, just standing there.
It was late November 1994, and my husband and I decided to go hiking to Bagby Hot Springs in Oregon. The weather was chilly, and a thick layer of snow covered the ground. We were both excited to get away from the city and immerse ourselves in the tranquility of nature. As we hiked along the well-trodden trail, I noticed something peculiar, barefoot tracks in the deep snow. The tracks were quite large, about 14-16 inches long and 6-8 inches wide at the ball. What struck me as odd was the absence of any claw marks and the fact that the smaller toes seemed almost non-existent. The stride was long and the tracks followed a generally straight line up the trail, although they occasionally crossed back over, as if the creature had doubled back. I decided not to mention the tracks to my husband, who was a skeptic when it came to anything out of the ordinary. Surprisingly, he didn't bring them up either. We continued our hike, but my curiosity about the tracks only grew stronger. As we neared the hot springs, we encountered a park ranger named Jake. I couldn't help but ask him if he had seen or heard anything unusual in the area. He was a tall, sturdy man with a weathered face that suggested he had spent years working in the wilderness. Jake looked at me thoughtfully for a moment before replying. You know, I've heard some stories from other hikers about strange tracks in the snow. I've seen them myself a few times. Some folks think it's a prank, while others believe it might be something more mysterious, like a Bigfoot. My husband chuckled at the mention of Bigfoot, but Jake didn't seem to find it amusing. Look, I can't say for sure what's making those tracks, but I'd advise you both to be careful out here, he warned. The wilderness can be unpredictable, and it's best to stay alert. We thanked Jake for his advice and continued on our way to the hot springs. The rest of our hike was uneventful, but the memory of those tracks lingered in my mind. It was early morning in September as I walked through the dense forest, about a quarter mile off Wildcat Mountain Road. I was on a mission to track the movement of an elk herd that returned to this area every seven days to feed. The sun had just begun to peek through the trees, casting a golden glow on the forest floor. I had been hiking for a while when I met a seasoned hunter named Joe. He was also tracking the elk and had been doing so for years. We decided to team up and continue our observation together. As we moved deeper into the woods, Joe shared fascinating stories about his experiences as a hunter and his encounters with various wildlife. Suddenly, from the next canyon over, we heard a high-pitched whistle that pierced the stillness of the morning air. The sound was incredibly loud and lasted for about 20 seconds. Joe, being very familiar with the sounds of the forest, was puzzled by this whistle. He assured me that it was neither an elk nor a cat. The peculiar whistle set off a frenzy of barking from dogs at nearby homes, which continued for about five minutes. Joe and I exchanged worried glances before deciding to cautiously investigate the source of the strange sound. As we approached the next canyon, we stumbled upon something we never expected to see. A large, hairy creature standing on two legs, its eyes fixed on us. We were both frozen in shock, unable to move or speak. The creature appeared to be a Sasquatch, a legendary being that had been the subject of countless tales and rumors, but never proven to exist. The Sasquatch seemed just as surprised to see us, and it let out another high-pitched whistle before disappearing into the dense forest. 
Joe and I stared at each other in disbelief, our hearts pounding in our chests. We knew that we had just witnessed something extraordinary, something that would change the way we viewed the world and the creatures that inhabited it. The encounter with a Sasquatch overshadowed our original mission to observe the elk herd, and we spent the rest of the day discussing our experience and pondering the existence of this mysterious creature. As we parted ways, Joe and I agreed to keep our encounter a secret, knowing that most people would dismiss our story as a fabrication or an exaggeration. But deep in our hearts, we knew the truth. We had come face to face with a legend, a creature that had eluded mankind for centuries. And although our encounter was brief, it would remain etched in our memories for the rest of our lives. On August 1st, 1987, I, Officer Torgan responded to a call about a possible drunk driver. When I arrived at the scene, a white male in his early 20s took off running. The incident occurred around 1 a.m. along Highway 44 near Ellington, Missouri. I requested backup and began searching the area, but I couldn't find any footprints or tire tracks that the suspect might have left behind. I remember thinking, this is one of the strangest things I've ever put in a report. I returned to my patrol vehicle when suddenly I heard a high-pitched humming sound. To my shock, a large humanoid creature with an extremely fit and strong build stood before me. Its eyes were a deep, piercing black, resembling the pupil, less appearance of a shark. The creature's arms hung down, giving it an ape-like look while its head was humanoid in shape. The nose was pushed flat against its face with a heavy brow, perhaps from a fall during its lifetime. Its wide mouth was filled with numerous tiny, razor-sharp teeth. Long strands of stringy hair hung from the back of its head, reaching midway down its back. I observed that the creature seemed to have been living in the woods as its skin was dirty, matted, and gray. It stood about eight feet tall and had very wide shoulders, maybe twice the width of a human's. I was so frightened by the sight that I didn't even think to pursue it. Instead, I simply got back into my patrol car, returned to the station, and filled out a report which I never intended to release, at least publicly. I described the creature as one of the strangest things I've ever put in a report. When it stood before me, it looked like something right out of a horror movie. I know for certain that I saw something very unusual on the night of July 26 while driving home from work. I hadn't been drinking and was completely sober. I also don't drink caffeine or take any type of stimulant or depressant drugs. When my wife saw the tracks, she initially thought they were left by a bear, but we later learned there were no bears in the area. In our front yard, we have a large maple tree with low-hanging branches. The creature I saw at the window was definitely not a bear. It stood on two legs, very unlike how a bear stands, and reached with its arms as if to touch me. It was only about five feet away from the window when we made full eye contact. The experience was terrifying. I don't know for sure what I saw, and my wife is just as certain that she saw it too. I've never seen any type of creature resembling that thing before in my life, and I hope to never see one again. Clearly, I'm not alone in this experience, as others like Officer Torgan have shared similar stories. There are things out there that defy the world we live in. 
Maybe shows like X-Files and Twilight Zone had it right. Back in the mid-90s, I had a close friend named John who shared my passion for hiking and camping. One weekend, John and his wife, Emily, decided to hike to Indian Prairie Lake to camp and fish for a couple of days. I was unable to join them due to a prior engagement, but they promised to share their adventure with me upon their return. When they came back, their faces were pale and their hands trembled as they recounted their experience. They told me that the area around the lake had been unusually quiet and still, and they couldn't shake the eerie feeling of being watched. As John waded into the lake to cast his fishing line, their normally aggressive dog, Bear, followed him, whining and trying to wrap himself around John's legs. They felt so spooked that they decided to leave after only a short time. A few weeks later, their high school age son, Jake, and his friends decided to camp at the same lake. They, too, experienced the same sense of unease, and once again, Bear freaked out, this time retreating to the safety of their tent and refusing to come out. Despite the unsettling atmosphere, the boys were determined to stay the night. As darkness fell, they were harassed by something that screamed in the night. They also heard the sound of something being thrown at them. Terrified, they broke camp and left in the wee hours of the morning. I couldn't help but feel intrigued and concerned about the strange occurrences at Indian Prairie Lake. As a former Navy SEAL, my friend Randy was always up for a challenge, so I told him about the mysterious happenings and asked if he wanted to investigate with me. Without hesitation, he agreed. We arrived at the lake determined to uncover the truth behind the unsettling events. The air was heavy with silence, and we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. We set up camp and waited, Bear lying nervously at our feet. As night fell, we took turns keeping watch. It wasn't long before we heard the same blood-curdling scream that John's son and his friends had described. Randy and I grabbed our flashlights and ventured out into the darkness, Bear reluctantly following behind. We searched the area but found no signs of what could have produced the scream. However, as we returned to our campsite, we noticed large, unusual footprints near the edge of the lake. They were unlike anything we had ever seen. We continued our investigation the following day, discovering more footprints and what appeared to be evidence of something large moving through the underbrush. As a Navy SEAL, Randy was skilled in tracking, and he was baffled by what he saw. Despite our best efforts, we were unable to determine the source of the strange happenings at Indian Prairie Lake. To this day, the mystery remains unsolved. Years later, I heard that Jake had joined the Marines and was stationed in the Middle East. I often wonder if he still thinks about that eerie night at Indian Prairie Lake and the unknown force that had driven him in and his friends away in fear. I've been a ranger for well over 30 years. At some point, they decided that they would take some of the workload off my feet and let me do most of my work at the visitor center, which is about a third of the way into the natural reserve. My body appreciates their consideration for the condition that I'm in, but my mental health doesn't. Keeping on the move and always on patrol was my way of coping with things. Working out of the visitor center gave me more time to think. And that's not necessarily a healthy thing. 
Suffice to say, I'm divorced, and my kids, well, they don't want to talk to me, all while I'm facing my twilight years all by myself. I'm not trying to draw attention here. Those will be necessary details in just a few short seconds. They forced me to take coffee breaks if I had to go too hard for too long. I was taking one such compulsory coffee break on one of the outdoor wooden park benches completely by myself. People don't come to the park to look around the visitor center anymore. Besides the brochures of park information, the only thing the park has to offer is the same four or five fun facts, and they've been hanging out for a long time. In fact, everybody has seen them. Nobody wants to see them again. I was quickly yanked out of my thoughts when I heard a voice that I hadn't heard for over 15 years, but recognized it instantly. It was the voice of my ex-wife, and she was calling my name. My brain was trying to come up with a rational explanation as to why I was hearing this. And then I heard my daughter's voice come out to me also. Except she didn't sound like the 43-year-old woman that she had grown into. Instead, she sounded exactly the way she did when she was around nine years old. I was anchored to the park bench for a while, terrified to move. Just in case I was having a heart attack or a stroke or experiencing something else that would mess with my mind, Perhaps I was dying. Perhaps this was a practical joke. But who could mimic those voices so well and know my name at the same time? I decided to try a more tactical approach. I would come towards the voices, but I wouldn't answer them. There were long pauses between each call as if my wife and daughter were waiting for me to answer. But then they would call out again. And it was in those moments that I would pick up on the direction that they were coming from. Unless my ears were lying to me, it sounded like they were coming from the woods that came right up against the physical building of the visitor center. I stepped to the trees quietly, resting when there was silence and walking when I heard the voices. I approached the opening in the trees. They couldn't have been more than 14 feet in diameter. It was also clustered by some low-growing shrubs. I remained hidden as best as possible. It didn't sound like the voices were coming from nearby. They were coming from that very small clearing. I didn't see how it could be possible. If my wife and daughter were there, they'd be visible clearly, unless they were lying down on the shrubbery. So I stared for what felt like forever. But then, a shape slowly rose out of the growth, and it appeared to have two large block eyes that were proportionate to its head the same way the eyes of a fly are proportionate to its head. Everything about it was just a little too long. The neck, the shoulders, the arms. It did not stand up to its full length, just high enough to get a good look around before opening its mouth and speaking with both the voices of my wife and my daughter in one, calling out to me, asking where I was and what was taking so long. Then, without noticing me, it slowly sank back down. I could see its pale ribbed back bent over and underneath the topmost of the leaves where it did its best to try and stay hidden. I took up my pistol and I shot as many times as I could before I realized that there was a problem. At least two good hits landed on its flesh before it sprang up and ran. I don't know if the other three or four shots hit. Miraculously, I was able to slip back into the center and not have to offer an explanation to anybody important. The older girl there, that works behind the front desk, asked if she had heard something dangerous, and I just told her that I saw some kids setting off fireworks. 
My ex-wife may be many things, but somebody with the ability, let alone the intelligence, to send some strange forced monster after me and lure me out with the sound of her voice isn't... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One of them. After that incident, I've kind of given in to the urging of my superiors to spend more time in that area and less time tromping around outside. There are clearly more forces at work in this world that know more about me and know me better than I know myself, and the less I have to tangle with them, the better. I apologize in advance for my story being so long, but I figured I would give you the unfiltered version. Thank you. It was 2008 in San Antonio, Texas. I was on patrol alone one night when I heard a loud thumping sound coming from the back of my squad car. I stopped, got out to investigate, and then suddenly I was faced with something that seemed to come straight out of a horror film. I was terrified and shaken, and this is my story. The district I was patrolling was new to me. It was around 2.20 a.m., and I had just finished checking several convenience stores when the loud thumping sound from the back of my car caused me to pull over. As I stepped out of the vehicle, a large figure burst out from the woods across the street and started running towards me. For a split second, I thought it was a person, but as it got closer, I realized with a chill that it wasn't. The creature was on all fours, covered in hair, with the body of a man and the head of a wolf. It seemed to be wearing a uniform, but as I squinted through the darkness, I realized it was just its thick, matted fur. The creature stopped about thirty feet from me, its eyes boring into mine as though sizing me up. Fear rooted me to the spot. I slammed on my car horn for what seemed like an eternity, hoping someone would come, but no one did. Suddenly the creature started to charge at me. Overcoming my initial shock, I jumped back into my car and sped off. I was too frightened to share my encounter with anyone. I was afraid they wouldn't believe me, that they would think I was crazy. But now, as similar sightings are being reported all over the world, I've decided it's time to share my experience. I hope that my story encourages other officers who have had similar encounters to come forward In the summer of 94, I found myself in the heart of Oregon's mountainous region. I was working for a geological service back then and had taken a friend along for a horseback ride near Husband Lake, close to Linton Meadow. We were about seven miles out on the Cascade Crest Trail, a rugged path accessible from where Road 1624 ended. The trail was flanked by a swampy area on one side and a steep 400-foot cliff on the other, coming off Husband Mountain. As we were riding along, something strange at the top of the ridge caught our eyes. There was a stump there, or at least that's what we initially thought it to be. 
But then, to our disbelief, the stump moved. It stood up there and watched us. I remember saying to my friend in hushed whispers, the figure was at an almost impossible angle, precariously leaning over the cliff edge, seemingly trying to get a better look at us. Then, almost as if it was aware that we were watching, it started to retreat in slow motion, gradually disappearing from our sight. However, this wasn't the last we saw of it. Twice more, it reappeared along the trail. One time, it had its foot rested on a boulder. That was when our horses began to act up sidestepping and dancing nervously. They were clearly spooked, and we were in a hurry to get down the trail, away from the mysterious figure. The creature was silhouetted against the sky, the sun casting its form in shadow. We couldn't see any specific details, but its size was unmistakable. It was a massive figure, easily twice the size of a man, and appeared to be heavily muscled. Its fur or skin was dark brown. It resembled descriptions I have heard of the fabled dogman. After that encounter, I became convinced that there was a family of these creatures in the area. I don't know if they are dogmen or Bigfoot or something else entirely, but I do know that they are out there. And every time I venture into those mountains, I can't shake the feeling that we are being watched by those curious hidden eyes. It was the 14th of October, and my son, Peter, and I found ourselves hunting in the woods northeast of Lincoln City, Oregon. The air was crisp, and the rustle of autumn leaves echoed through the forest, creating an eerie yet familiar atmosphere. We've always enjoyed these father-son excursions, a tradition passed down through generations. But that day we were to stumble upon something that would etch itself into our memories forever. As we moved deeper into the woods, we noticed a peculiar sight. A large section of the forest floor had been disturbed. Numerous roots, each one large and white as though freshly exposed to the air, were pulled up from the ground. That wasn't the strange part. What baffled us was the arrangement of these roots. Each one of them was laid in a row along the path we were following, all facing the same direction. The roots were intact displaying a systematic arrangement that seemed too deliberate to be the work of animals. It was as if something or someone had carefully uprooted and arranged these roots with a specific intent. Peter and I exchanged puzzled glances, our curiosity peaked. We were familiar with the woods and its residents, but this was something we had never seen before. It was unsettling, and we felt a sense of unease creeping over us. Nevertheless, we decided to press on, keeping a mental note of the strange roots. The next day, we returned to the same spot, half expecting the roots to be gone, perhaps carried off by some animal or scattered by the wind. But they were still there, undisturbed, laid out in the same meticulous order as the day before. To this day, we don't know what caused this strange occurrence. Was it some bizarre, natural phenomenon? Or was it the work of an unknown creature in the woods? We can only speculate. But one thing is certain. The woods of Lincoln City hold mysteries that go beyond our comprehension. And that day we had come face to face with one of them. This just happened last night. 
My boyfriend, our husky, and I embarked upon our long holiday road trip to see our families earlier today. Fourteen hours of this trip takes place on a major U.S. interstate highway. We were looking for places to make our last gas stop and found a place just off the highway. We pulled off and into the desolate gas station and immediately were greeted by a fairly large, somewhat sketchy man taking not-so-subtle glances in our direction. We both were joking that maybe we chose the wrong gas station. And boy, did we. My boyfriend suggested that while he pumped the gas and run to the restroom, I'd take our dog and let him stretch his legs. Being a city girl, I know to always carry my mace and phone, especially at night. We diverged as I started to make my way towards the ill-lit side of the gas station and my boyfriend to the restroom. I made it not thirty feet from my car and was approached by a small Chihuahua mutt with a collar who happily greeted our husky. I looked around for an owner while the two dogs got to know one another and continued to walk to a patch of grass with our new follower in tow. My first instinct was to help the dog and find his owner, but in the back of my mind something felt very off, and to be honest, it felt off since the moment we pulled in. I immediately called my boyfriend and told him I had found a dog and said, Hey, I found a dog, but something is weird. He immediately abandoned his bathroom break and came out to meet me. While I'm standing with our dog and this dog who came seemingly out of nowhere, I felt eyes on me from the employees working outside. My boyfriend expressed concern about the dog being loose so close to a major highway and further looked around for its possible owner. He approached one of the employees who was changing out trash liners right next to our car for some time now. He asked the employee if he had any idea whose dog this was. In perfect English, he replied, I don't speak English, and anxiously turned around to only continue to go through the motions of changing out a trash liner he had been standing at this whole time. He then continued to watch his chase around this dog until a dog led us behind the conscience store gas station. With my boyfriend five feet behind me, I followed the dog to the back of the store. Behind the store, ten or so big rigged trucks sat largely in darkness, resting for the night. Cardboard boxes and broken wood pallets covered the dirt. A large man in a gas station uniform greeted me staring through a glass door. With my boyfriend out of view, I bent down to check the dog's tag as the man continued to stare. My boyfriend approached, and that's when the man behind the glass door's demeanor changed. Almost dejectedly, he opened the glass door. I quickly asked, Do you know whose dog this is? Nervously, he fumbled his words and replied, Yeah, uh, yeah, that's my bad dog. We both exhaled and exchanged a look as if to say something about that was really weird. We made our way back to the car, and my boyfriend remembered he had to still use the bathroom, so I settled back into our locked car. When my boyfriend got back to the car, he told me the same man we talked to at the back of the store, followed him to the bathroom, and stood behind him watching. That's when we realized just how creepy and surreal the last fifteen minutes had been. As we drove away, we discussed the strange and creepy series of events, how the whole thing felt staged or set up. Why did the employee act like he didn't know the dog when it belonged to his co-worker? 
We immediately googled the small town we had stopped in and discovered it has been a hot spot for human trafficking. In recent months, 60 people were arrested. Was this just a string of eerie coincidences? Or was there some more sinister going on here? It was an early Tuesday morning. My friend and I were bow hunting off the face of the rock quarry. We stopped to rest on a bench in the tall timber where we sat facing up the hill. We had come down from earlier in the morning. We couldn't rest because we kept hearing a rustling sound up the hillside that kept our attention. Shortly thereafter, we thought we heard what sounded like girls talking on the 1160. One road directly above us. It first sounded like laughing that immediately turned into a blood-curdling sound that went to a soft laughter, to a very high pitch that got louder and louder. My first thought was it sounded like a mother watching its young being killed. This sound got so loud in its direction, now sounded like from multiple directions around us, like something was joining in on the cry. By this time, approximately 20 seconds has gone by, and the sound has not stopped for one second, not even to take a breath of air. My friend kept asking me, what is it, as I was staring up the hillside in amazement. He finally was so scared, he grabbed my shirt and looked me in the eye and said, what is it? I replied, I don't know, but it better not come after us. This sound started to wind down like an old World War II hand crank warning alarm and then dissipated into a soft sound, then to nothing. We estimated this sound carried for approximately 40 seconds and, like I said, it never stopped to take a breath. The northwestern part of Pennsylvania, particularly the areas surrounding the Allegheny National Forest, has a rich history of reports about UFOs, Bigfoot, and other inexplicable events. It was in this intriguing setting on July 8, 2017, that my partner and I had an encounter that left us both bewildered. That morning at around nine, I stepped out onto our deck, which overlooks the lush greenery of our country home, nestled near the forest. What caught my eye was an unusually large moth resting on a six-by-six six vertical post. The moth, if I could even call it that, was approximately 11 inches long and about 5 inches wide at what I can only describe as the shoulders. Its shape was peculiar, somewhat reminiscent of an hourglass. Adding to its unusual appearance were two appendages at the top of its head, antennas or pointed ears, perhaps, each about an inch long. It seemed as though the creature's head was tucked into its body, as if it was resting. Based on its size, I guessed its wingspan would reach an impressive 15 inches when fully spread out. Intrigued, I called my husband to witness this peculiar sight. I was taken aback by the creature's strange beauty. Its wings shimmered with a pale green iridescence, while the middle part appeared to have a creamy skin-like texture. My husband was equally amazed, expressing that he'd never seen anything like it before. We both agreed that it resembled a giant moth. We spent some time observing the seemingly slumbering creature. Eventually, I gathered the courage to touch it, finding its wings smooth, almost skin-like, but not feathery or fuzzy. The creature remained still, not reacting to my touch. 
I also noticed a lack of the powdery residue typically left behind after touching a moth's wings. Before we had to leave our home for a bit, I decided to fetch my camera to capture a picture of our unusual visitor. Standing about a foot away, I tried to power up my camera, but to no avail. Despite the camera having never given us trouble before, and even after replacing the batteries, it still refused to turn on. The next day, it worked perfectly fine again. On our way to the car, we spotted another similar creature perched on the outer wall of our home about ten feet off the ground. When we returned home later, both creatures had vanished. We've since made a sketch of what we saw. It shows the back of the creature's wings, and the red area behind it represents the six-by-six six vertical post it was resting on. It's possibly just a coincidence that my camera malfunctioned when I tried to photograph this odd-winged creature. However, I've heard of cases where photographic equipment mysteriously fails when someone attempts to capture images of UFOs or other phenomena. More recently, similar incidents have been reported in connection with significant UFO encounters in our state. Other researchers involved in paranormal investigations have reported similar experiences as well. This happened ages ago when I was 20. One, I was a manager for a big box store, but in a town that was an hour drive from me. I lived in a small town, and the store was in another small town, both about 12,000 people each. But in order to promote the manager, I had to transfer, which meant doing this drive daily. I had hoped it would be temporary because I dreaded driving this every day, especially late at night because of deer, etc. This was also before cell phones were really the norm. I did have one, but it was one of those ancient bag-style phones, and I just got it a week or two before. With these phones, you had to plug them into your car lighter in order to have them work, and they had a corded attached handset. Anyway, one night I was driving home, and it was really late, about 1 a.m. The drive is pretty desolate with houses sporadically throughout mixed with sections of wooded areas. About 20 minutes before my town is a random casino in the middle of BFE. I had just passed this casino and a truck pulled out behind me. I didn't think anything of it, but it was noticeable pretty quickly that they had been drinking because of their erratic driving. Because of this, I just figured. I'd just put as much room between us as possible. Also to note, as I was going past them, they had their headlights on, of course, and could have easily seen I was a young girl by myself. So the truck comes up behind me at a pretty fast rate of speed and goes to pass me. As they are next to me, they swerve a little towards me, and I just think they are much more drunk than I thought, and slowed down so they could easily pass. As soon as they got in front of me, though, they started to slow down, way down. It got to the point that we were going 20 miles per hour in a 55 miles per hour zone and still slowing down like they were trying to stop me. Every time they would get to around 5 miles per hour, I would swerve to the opposite lane and give it some gas like I was going to pass, which would then make them temporarily speed up. I could also see a lot better in the truck at this point. It was an extended cab truck with what appeared to be five or six guys in it. This was during hunting season, so it wasn't out of the norm to see groups of guys acting ridiculous and drunk this time of year. 
So they were trying to stop me, and I didn't want to necessarily pass, given what had just happened, but at a certain point, I had to. So I go to try and pass the truck, but it blocks me from doing so by getting in the middle of both lanes. I try this a couple of times with the same results. Then finally, I try to floor it and pass in the truck, but it tries to run me off the road. I immediately get back behind them, and I'm freaking out at this point. I had tried calling 911, but there was a huge area with no coverage yet, and I couldn't get through. After what seemed like forever, I finally get through to them, and they send someone out immediately. As I'm on the phone with him, I see car lights in my rear view, and am filled with panic because I know this car will inevitably try to pass, given we are only going about 30 at this point. Sure as shit, the car comes up behind us and goes to pass. And sure as shit, the truck actually runs them off the road and into the ditch. I'm telling the 911 dispatcher this, and in a full-blown panic, we're getting close to town now, though, and I can see the first stoplight. I wasn't sure what the truck was going to do, because our one lane splits into two, and there are gas stations, etc., up ahead. Right as we approach the first light, I see an officer come in the opposite direction, and I start flashing them over and over while telling the dispatcher that I see the officer. The officer makes a U-turn and gets in between me and the truck. He flicks the lights on them to pull them over, and they pull into a gas station at the main intersection of our town. I follow into the gas station to assist the police in whatever statements they may need, and want to make sure these assholes are actually arrested. That didn't end up being a problem because they refused a breathalyzer, so they were taken to the hospital where a blood alcohol level was obtained. I really wanted to know more, but the officer didn't elaborate. I kind of wish I would have called up and followed up on it. They never called me or anything to do anything in court, so I'm guessing they didn't need me, but it also means that they got away with only getting a DUI. I didn't realize this wasn't okay until way later. Much too late to have done anything about it. All I know is the officer said they were all three sheets to the wind. God only knows what their intent was, but I was terrified to find out. And thank God for that damn bag cell phone. It could have saved my life. My ex-wife and I saw in plain sight a female cross the road in front of our car. We had to stop very quickly or we would hit her. This happened at around 9.30 p.m. We went back there the next morning and found where two, three had been standing, watching traffic to cross the road. From 2000 through 2004, I heard many different calls from my bedroom from various times. The oddest at 9.30 a.m. This was the loudest call I had heard, and it sounded like it was lost or looking for a younger one that was lost. I have never heard a creature with such a lung capacity. The volume was incredible, and that was in broad daylight about half mile from my home. It woke me up immediately, and I knew right away what it was. I have excellent audio tape recordings that I recorded as I heard them through a magnified microphone. Many times I had walked in the woods by the house, and I felt the presence of them around me. I also found many footprints in the largest pile of feces that I had ever seen, and my dog was very leery of that.
My wife and I had planned a peaceful getaway to a cabin in a rural town nestled in the mountains. It was a much-needed break from our busy lives, and we were excited to enjoy the serenity of nature. It was around 8 p.m. when we heard an air raid siren, which we assumed was related to a fire. The sound pierced the quiet evening, and it rang out for quite some time. We initially joked about it being the beginning of a zombie apocalypse, but as time passed, we couldn't help but feel a little uneasy. We didn't know what the siren was for, and our curiosity got the better of us. Deciding it was best to find out what was going on, I put on my coat and boots before venturing out into the chilly night. I walked down the road to a small grocery store nearby, hoping someone there might know the reason for the siren. As I entered the store, the warm air and bright lights provided a welcome contrast to the cold darkness outside. I approached the counter and asked the store clerk if they knew what the siren was for. To my surprise, they looked at me with a puzzled expression and replied, What siren? I couldn't believe that they hadn't heard it. I stepped back outside, expecting to hear the siren again, but it had stopped. The eerie silence that had returned was unsettling. I made my way back to the cabin, trying to make sense of what had just happened. Upon my return, I shared the strange encounter with my wife. We were both left with a lingering sense of unease, but we tried to brush it off and enjoy the rest of our stay. However, we couldn't help but wonder about that mysterious siren and why nobody else seemed to have heard it. The mystery of that night would stay with us, long after we left the mountains. A few years back, I had this really creepy experience with an older co-worker of mine that still kind of shakes me to this day. It happened at this place that I'd been working at for a couple of years at that point. The place was a small factory of sorts, with only less than a handful of employees, including myself. One day, though, my boss introduced us to this new older guy that he'd brought in to start working in the other, newer side of the factory. You see, the factory where he worked had two different sides to it. One side for beeswax and one side for wood production. My boss had brought him in because they went to church together and the wood production on the other side had a religious significance. The new older co-worker worked there with us for about one month before he approached me one day and introduced himself to me. He seemed like a nice guy and even came back to give me a Hershey kiss. Not long after that, a couple months later, I got asked by our boss if I could go pick up my new older co-worker, probably because his car was broken down or something. I agreed to it, so my boss asked me if it was okay to give the co-worker my phone number so that we could coordinate via text. I said it was fine and went on my way. I brought him back to the factory with no problems. Soon after that, though, I started to get random and sporadic texts from him late at night. At first, the texts were just about us, maybe hanging out soon, while simultaneously apologizing to me because he knew he was much older than I. But then the texts started to get pretty pervy, and they would be as long as a mini-book. The texts were just long, misspelled, random, pervy compilations. I tried to just ignore the texts but that only made them start coming more frequently. In the midst of all this one day, my roommates were scrounging for a ride to a casino only a few miles from our house. 
I gave them a few dollars for a ride, and they said that they'd find their own ride back. So imagine my surprise when they returned only a couple hours later with their own ride, all right. Their ride was my creepy co-worker. Not only was I creeped the hell out that this pervy jerk now knew where I lived, but I also didn't know how he came to give my roommates that ride. Was it just sheer coincidence or something more? A few days after that, I went to visit a friend at his apartment that was located on our main street running through our small, historic downtown area. When I came downstairs from his apartment as he was located on the second floor, I made my usual turn, walking on the sidewalk in front of all the main street shops. As I walked past one of the shops that was maybe two doors down from my friend's apartment, I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye, but it couldn't be. Could it? To my great dismay, it was him, my creepy-ass older co-worker standing in the doorway of one of the shops and smiling creepily at me from under a black top hat. A couple of weeks after that little incident, I noticed him again as I left my friend's apartment. He was just standing on the sidewalk with that same creepy grin plastered on his gaunt face. Since I had already informed my friend after the last incident, I simply texted him real quick to let him know the creep was back. I got into my car and left after sending the text, so I didn't find out until later that the creepy co-worker was gone by the time my friend got downstairs to the sidewalk. At that point, though, the texts were still coming even faster than before. He was even threatening to come by my house if I didn't respond. Long, provocative text dictating what he'd like to have happen between us if he did just happen to show up at my house. When I would see him during the day at work, though, he would act as though everything were normal, giving no hint of his nighttime persona. After seeing him yet again as I left my friend's apartment, I just so happened to overhear a couple co-workers of mine standing around discussing how weird our new older co-worker was. Right then, I stepped in and joined the convo, finally showing one of my other co-workers the text messages that the creep had been sending me. I had been working with that particular co-worker for a few years, but I didn't know him too well. He was one of those people who came off kind of grumpy and distant. Still, I told him and my other co-worker not to say anything. They both nodded in agreement, and we went our separate ways to finish up for the day, when I came into work the next day, though, my boss immediately called me into his office. My boss told me that he'd been informed of the situation and the texts, and he wanted to see my phone to read them. I told my boss that I didn't really want to get anyone in trouble, but he said that was besides the point, and that my situation needed to be addressed. My boss also stated that my older co-worker had no right or reason to be texting me and talking to me the way he was talking to me. The boss must have had a pretty good talk with him because all the crap stopped from the older co-worker after that. The other grumpy co-worker of mine apologized to me for saying something to the boss, but I completely understood and I was actually pretty grateful to him for that. I should have been the one to take the initiative to talk to the boss about it, but I was just too chicken. Fortunately, though, that situation seemed to work out for all involved because life went on as usual and everyone involved acted as though nothing had ever happened. Well, I can't really say that because that situation actually caused the grumpy co-worker and I to talk more and we started dating. 
We were together for about three years, and then we got married. I was in Cozumel, Mexico, driving a truck through a completely uninhabited area on my way to a beautiful secluded beach. The sun was shining, and I was eager to relax on the pristine sand, soak up some rays, and enjoy the crystal clear water. As I continued down the deserted road, I suddenly spotted something up ahead. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. This strange creature looked like a stick figure drawing, with a disproportionately large head and a spindly body. It was all black and stood on its hind legs, seemingly aware of my presence. Without any warning, the bizarre creature darted across the road right in front of my truck. I slammed on the brakes, barely managing to avoid hitting it. My heart was pounding, and I stared in disbelief as it disappeared into the dense jungle. Shaken by the encounter, I continued on my way to the beach, but I couldn't get the image of that creepy thing out of my mind. When I met up with my friends, I told them about what I had seen and even drew a sketch of the creature. They were just as baffled as I was, unable to identify it based on my description or drawings. Over the years, I've tried to find out what that strange creature could have been. I've researched every known animal that inhabits Cozumel, but nothing seems to match the stick figure, like being I saw that day. Even my friends who still live on the island haven't been able to figure out what it was. To this day, the memory of that eerie encounter lingers in my mind. I can't help but wonder what it was that crossed my path in the uninhabited wilderness of Cozumel. Perhaps it was a creature yet to be discovered by science, or maybe it was something supernatural. Whatever it was, it remains an unsolved mystery that continues to haunt me.